0: Verses 1 through 30. Brother Fraser, if you come. If you need it, it's right here. Yes. Thank you. Please turn in your copy of God's Word to Exodus 12. We're going to read verses 1 to 30 this morning. Exodus 12, verses 1 to 30. So, the Word of the Lord says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood, and strike it on the two side posts, and on the upper door post of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token or a sign upon the houses where ye are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Jumping down to verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when ye seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer or allow the destroyer to come in into your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye become to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? that ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians, and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh rose up in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was not, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Let's pray. Everlasting Father, we worship you to, um, this morning. We praise and bless your name. We pray, Father, that as we consider the Passover, that you would please send the Spirit, that you would renew our minds, strengthen our faith. Lord, I pray that you would encourage your people today. And I pray that you would turn the hearts of your people to yourself and to the glory of your Son. And Lord, we don't want to be here for us Uh, We want to focus on you, and we pray, Lord, that as we just ponder together um, what your word says, um, as we consider what the Holy Spirit has inspired, I pray for every single one gathered here today, that every heart would be stirred, and that we would, would grow in our love to you and to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we give you all the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pray in this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Has anyone ever seen a lamb before? Um, a beautiful little, little furry lamb. Um, so, uh, me and Nolan and Lily and um, Naomi, we were walking down by the Barger's Farm and we saw these These beautiful little lambs. And we were just thinking about how this reminds us that the Lord is our shepherd and and we're like sheep. So kids, I want you to think in your mind about a little lamb and just how beautiful they are. Well, John the Baptist um, said about the Lord Jesus when he was coming to be baptized. He said, behold, or look, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Um, So kids, you might be wondering, why... Why does John call Jesus a lamb? What's what's the connection? Um, And in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls Christ the Passover lamb. Um, That's what John is getting at. Throughout the Old Testament, there is this this picture of the Passover lamb as a a picture of Christ's sacrifice for us. Um, So we're just going to be looking at the Passover. So... Again, when we look at this, it may seem strange at first, and, and you may wonder, what's all this blood, and hyssop, and lambs, and so we're going to just discuss this, so, so um, we're going to look at the Passover. So the, the broader context of what's going on is, when we look at the Bible, um, it's easy, you know, kids, like, you look um, in your Bible, you, you have family worship with your families, and, and you know, your dad might open up a place here and a place there. And, and you may wonder, how does it all fit together? Um, everything seems to be all over the place. What's the, what's the big picture? Um, but the Bible, if we were to summarize it, it's, it's a story. It's a true story. Um, and it's a beautiful story. And it's an exciting story about how God saves his people. And it's about redemption. It's about how God uh, redeems his people. Um, and saves them um, and for His glory, and how He does that through His Son. So right from the beginning, we have creation, God, this perfect being. He's a spirit. Uh, he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He creates the universe perfectly, and the pinnacle of His creation is us, human beings. We're made in the image of God. We can communicate with God. We can have a relationship with God. And God had this special relationship with, with human beings, um, and, and that's in terms of covenant. And a covenant is a, is a type of agreement. But it's not like we think of an agreement, you know, me and, me and Isaac might, um, might have an agreement that, you know, Isaac sells me a bike and I do it for so much money and we barter for it. It's not that kind of an agreement. God is the king and he sets the rules. He sets the terms for what this agreement looks like. And with his creature man, it's, it's, it's a covenant of works. So man has to to follow God's rules, has to follow God's law, but we all know that that man failed. Um, And this sets the stage for God's redemption. So in Genesis 3.15, we have the promise where God promises to crush the head of the serpent. And that's the the beginning of the gospel where we see God's redemption. And throughout the Old Testament, um, there are many different covenants. God's covenant with Abraham and with the nation of Israel and with David. And each of these covenants are telling us more about Jesus um, until Christ comes. So, as we look at this Passover, this is right after the Abrahamic covenant and it's right before the Mosaic covenant. So, God's already revealed a lot about Christ, but there's still much more to come. But with the Passover, this is one of the things where God is telling us something about Christ. And theologians call the Passover a type, a type is a, a picture prophecy. It's, um, it's, it's not like a word prophecy where the prophet would speak something. It's a picture where you look at something. And in this case, it's the Passover feast, and it's the lamb. And as you look at that, it tells you something about Christ. Um, so as we come to the book of Exodus, right off the bat, we see um, Israel is in slavery in Egypt. These are God's people. These are the descendants of Abraham, and they're, they're in slavery. Um, and again, kids, you might think, of imagine if you... You grew up, and you you weren't born in America. You're born in, in Egypt, and your 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 dad works 16 hours a day. You know, he's hauling uh, bricks for pyramids and all kinds of things. And your, your great and great grandfathers were, were doing this for hundreds of years. Um, these are God's people, and God promises to set them free from that. Um, so he prepares his man Moses um, to do this, and God has 10 plagues that he um executes against the nation of Egypt. And the last plague is the really the harshest one um, of God's judgment, where he promises that all the firstborn um, will be killed unless they have this way of escape. That's through the Passover. And immediately after this, Pharaoh lets the people go, and they, um, they go to Sinai, and God establishes the Mosaic Covenant with them. So that sets the background. So what we're really going to be trying to prove today is that God provides atonement for sin through Jesus, the Passover Lamb. Receiving His gift requires faith. So repent from your sins and believe the gospel of free grace in Jesus. So we're going to look at three things today. The first is the Lord's provision for atonement. The second is the need for faith in the atonement. And the third is the consequence of unbelief in the atonement. So the first point is the Lord's provision for atonement. Um, So first of all, the Lord provides an atonement because we need an atonement. So it's a needed lamb. So we need a lamb to be the sacrifice because of sin. Um, Kids, you hear this word a lot, sin, and and you, you probably wonder, what really does it mean we hear it so much? Um, Well, John, one of the apostles defines sin as the transgression of God's law. Well, we have to define what's a transgression. Well, transgression is when you break the rules. A transgression is um, when you rebel or revolt. It's kind of like if your mom and dad um, ask you to do something and you... You know, you stomp your feet and you say, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's the idea of transgression. You're, you're rebelling. You're breaking the rules. Um, so sin is the transgression of God's law. But it's very serious. God's law. What, what's God's law? It's not some, some harsh um, thing where God's trying to just take control and, and, and make life miserable. No, God's law is beautiful. God's law is perfect. It's summarized as perfect love to God, our Creator, And perfect love to each other. What better thing could we have than that? And that perfect love to God and to neighbor is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And then it's just fleshed out throughout the Old Testament. Um, The Lord said that in Matthew 22. That this is the sum of the whole Old Testament. Is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And God's law, the Ten Commandments... Um, it it extends not just to external actions like, oh, I I didn't murder somebody, you know, I didn't shoot somebody. No, it extends to your mind and your emotions as well. So if you hate somebody, it's coming from the same spring. Um, So we have sin, it's so prevalent in our society. It ranges from personal sins, um, immorality, greed, lying, dishonoring authority, disrespecting parents, blaspheming God's name, um, to large-scale societal sins, um, homosexuality, abortion, euthanasia, all these all these things where sin is so prevalent in our society. So sin, at the personal level and at the societal level, it demands death. This is what God said in Genesis 2, that in the day Adam and Eve eat, um, they will surely die. Um, and in Ezekiel, God speaks to the prophet and says, "...the soul that sins, it must die." Um, so that's the penalty. That's the punishment for breaking this covenant relationship we have with God. That's the punishment for it. Um, and it's only, it's only the sacrificial um, death of Jesus that can, that can set us free from that. Um, and the just punishment for breaking God's law is eternal and spiritual death and hell. So we need something. We need a lamb. We need an atonement because we've all sinned. We've all broken God's law at the heart level, in our minds, in our hearts. We've, we've rebelled against God um, and we've sinned against him. So we need a lamb. Um, the second reason we need him is because of the coming judgment on sin. If you look at the, um, the word for destroyer, um, I um, can't find the verse for it, but when the Lord says that the, the destroyer is going to come over um, and destroy the firstborn, the, the, the Hebrew word for destroyer there is actually re, um, related to the same word that's used for God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's an utter destruction. And this is foreshadowing the final judgment. Um, so please turn to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, and we're going to look at verses 11 to 15. So as we as we just are discussing and thinking about um, the coming judgment on sin. that It's not just that you know, we sin and judgment is never coming. No, there is judgment coming. Verse 11 says of Revelation 20, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. This is a picture of the final judgment, um, that the works that we've committed in this life, um, that the final judgment, God will, will judge um, every one of those works, and his, his judgment is just. Um, he, he doesn't give more, he doesn't give less than what we deserve. Um, he, um, he gives us our wages, it says that the wages of sin is death, um, So every sin we commit, it earns its own punishment. And God must punish those things because he's a just judge. Um, So sin is the problem, and judgment on sin is the problem. Uh, Another verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So this is the problem we have as we're sinners. We're in rebellion against God and, and kids, you know, you grow up and no one needs to tell you to, to go sin and, you know, lie and speak harshly to your siblings or be disrespectful or rebellious to your parents. It just happens naturally out of your heart. You need a new heart. Um, sin is the problem and God, God needs to judge those sins. So that's the needed lamb. Um, then we have the unblemished lamb. So we need this lamb, um, but what type of a lamb is it that we need to save us from this, from this terrible predicament we're in? It's an unblemished lamb. So in verse 5, Exodus 12, Exodus 12, five, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. The word here in Hebrew it means complete, sound, healthy, wholesome, unimpaired, or innocent, It can have a range from uh, physical wellness to, to spiritual wellness or moral innocence. So in Ezekiel 43.25, it refers to, like in this passage, a perfect sacrifice, a healthy sacrifice. It's not crippled, you know, it, it's not all spotted, it, it's not blind, it's a healthy animal. But it can also refer to moral innocence. In Genesis 6.9, this is the word... That is used to describe Noah. Noah was perfect. He was blameless before God. It's the same word that's translated unblemished here. So the meaning of this, a lamb without blemish, is that the lamb needs to be um, physically healthy, a uh, physically healthy sacrificed lamb that anticipates the moral healthiness, the moral innocence or completeness of the Lord Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. So we need a lamb, and God provides a lamb. And what type of a lamb is it? It's a perfect lamb. It's a perfect one, the Lord Jesus. Now, the third thing under this is he's an atoning lamb. Verse 6, um, he, he will be killed. It says, um, the whole congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Um, so so this, this lamb is killed. So atonement, we're defining here as Christ's, um, Christ's sacrifice, where he receives the punishment his people deserve, this sacrifice removes their guilt and turns away God's wrath, while setting the sinner free from bondage to sin and Satan. And with sin cleansed, God is reconciled to the sinner. So, believer, um, if you've believed in Christ, uh, you can rejoice that your guilt has been taken away. You don't need to think about, you know, sins you've committed 20 years ago, and just be, ah, oh, you know, like I'm going to hell because of that. If Christ has forgiven you, that guilt has been taken away. There's no more burden of that. You know, we all struggle with that, you know, guilt for sins we've done. Christ takes that guilt away. And the only reason we should bring those things up is to glorify God, not to, not to uh, drown in that swamp. Um, and if you're not saved, God's wrath still abides on you. Um, and it's a very sobering thing. Um, so just, we wanted to just unpack briefly what this means, atonement. Um, And the different dimensions of Christ being the atoning Lamb. Um, So the first is atonement involves obedience. Um, Christ is obedient. Um, Theologians refer to his active and his passive obedience. Christ's active obedience is his life of perfection, where he keeps the law perfectly. um, And his passive obedience um, is related to the word passion. Uh, We hear of like the passion of Christ, it just means suffering uh, from the Greek word for, for suffering. Um, so Christ's life of obedience and his suffering. Um, so um, Christ's obedience is perfect. John 8, 29 says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Um, we even see Peter refers to Christ as an unblemished lamb. Um, he calls him a lamb without blemish and without spot in First Peter 1, 19. So the second thing atonement involves is sacrifice. Now, sacrifice is um, is uh, on first sight a very gruesome thing, but it's very necessary. Um, the sacrificial process begins with a guilty person, um, like us and the Israelites, who would have sinned against God and they had guilt. And the priest would put his hand on the on the lamb, and that would symbolize a transference of guilt to that animal. Um, and then the animal would be killed. And the whole concept of this sacrifice is that animal died instead of me. I should have, I should have died. My blood should have been shed. Um, I, I should have gone to hell. But um, that guilt was transferred and this, this innocent animal took my place. And um, in Hebrews, the writer to Hebrews, um, Paul perhaps, um, throwing that out there. <laughs> but the writer to Hebrews um, is... it speaks about how um, the blood of animals can't take away sin, uh, an animal's not a human, but it's pointing us forward to Christ, where that same, that same process happens. We have guilt, and the Father transfers that guilt to Christ, and Christ is slain instead of us. Um, so the significance of blood here is, is blood symbolizes life, Leviticus 17.11. Um, the life is in the blood, um, So, God demands death as the price for sin. We forfeit our right to life. We forfeit our right to communion with Him. And we earn ourselves punishment. Death is the price. Wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23. And so, death is then symbolized by the shedding of blood. So, as blood is shed, this is a symbol of death. The forfeiting of life. Um, And so, this is is why the writer to Hebrews says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. What he's really saying is, without death, there can be no no remission for sins. It requires death. So sinners can only be saved from their spiritual death, which is here symbolized by the Israelite's salvation from the angel of death, by the substitutionary death of Christ as a sacrifice, which is typified by the slain Passover lamb. Um, And this is why we have this beautiful picture of substitution in 2 Corinthians Where it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's a transfer of our guilt to Christ and of Christ's righteousness to us. It's a a swapping, if you will. Another thing in the idea of atonement is expiation. And we were talking about this a second ago. Um, Expiation means the removal of guilt by the paying of a price. Uh, Colossians 1 says, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is releasing from a debt. Um, it's actually, the word in Greek for forgiveness um, is related to the word for releasing it, even is related to the word for divorce. It's an idea of separation and, and releasing from a debt. Um, it's kind of ideas. So, forgiveness is this releasing from the sin debt, um, and that removes our guilt. Um, what this then does is as our guilt is removed, God's wrath is turned away. God, God can't, um, can't love us when we're, when we're full of rebellion to him. So that's propitiation um, is, the, is the word for turning away wrath. Um, so kids, just remember when you hear these big theological words like propitiation and expiation, don't, don't be confused. Um, there, there's a simple definition to these things. Um, You think about uh, expiation. It's such a big word. It's even hard for adults to pronounce. But um, just think about the removal of guilt. Think about when you've done something bad and you feel terrible about it and you pray to the Lord about it and you don't have that guilt anymore. The Lord's forgiven you for it. That's what expiation is. The guilt's taken away. Um, And the turning away of wrath is um, God's, God's, God's anger on your sin is turned away. And that's what propitiation is. So in Romans 3.25 it says. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So propitiation is the idea here. And that's related as well to a um, mercy seat. Um, propitiation also means mercy seat. And I, I believe the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, translates the mercy seat with the New Testament word propitiation it's an idea of a covering um, so that God's wrath is turned away so when God's wrath is turned away we're reconciled to him you think you think kids about times where you may have a disagreement with your brother or sister um, and you're you're angry at each other um, and but then you you make it right and that hostility that anger is replaced with friendship you're your your friends again. That's the idea of reconciliation. Enemies becoming friends. Um, God was our enemy uh, because of our sin, but now he becomes our friend through the atonement. Um, Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, are made near by the blood of Christ. Um, and the last idea associated with atonement, we've talked about expiation, propitiation, sacrifice, substitution, it's a lot to think about. But one other thing, redemption. It means setting free from slavery by paying a price. So imagine, imagine a slave market where you've got all these slaves and um, people there. They've got chains on their, on their arms. It's, it's a terrible sight. Someone comes along and pays, pays the price for them. Maybe it's $5,000. Okay, I'm going to buy this slave. And the, the slave owner thinks um, that, oh, this... this, this um, African person's going to be a servant for the rest of their lives. Um, but the slave owner says, I'm setting you free. You're, um, you're free to go. I paid your price. Um, and that, those, those things really did happen. Um, that's the idea of redemption. We're, we're slaves um, to sin. We can't stop sinning. We're slaves to Satan. Satan's a horrible master. And he's, he was our master. Um, and the law condemns us. But God pays this price. His son dies. And then that um, allows his people to be set free from slavery. Um, so in Colossians 1 it says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Um, so redemption means that we're, we're saved, we're redeemed, we're set free from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13. The law no longer condemns us. We're set free from Satan. We just read that here. We're also set free from the power of sin. We're not forced to to sin anymore. Um, so that's the 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 provision for atonement. God's provided atonement through Christ, through Christ dying on the cross, and that, that does, does all these things. And so, just as you drive home, or as you lie in bed, or as you as you walk, you know, on a, on a walk, just just ponder these things about atonement. Uh, all that it means. My guilt's taken away. Um, God's wrath is turned away. I'm reconciled to God. I'm set free. Uh, and just rejoice in that believer. Um, that God's made provision through Jesus the Passover lamb. But this atonement is, is not just... Um, it's a gift that needs to be received. And the way that gift is received is through faith. So we're going to talk about the need for faith in the atonement. Please turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is something that's substantial and it's real. Um, and faith is in something that's invisible. But you see, guys, we we boys and girls, we, we have faith in things that are invisible all the time. Um, we all believe our parents love us. but We can't put that in a bottle. Uh, it's invisible, but we believe it. And we live in that reality every day. Um, we know our parents love us because... They care for us, and they spend time with us, and they invest in us. Um, We can't see air, but we we know it's there because we're living, and our lungs are full of fresh air. So it's not it's not an unusual thing to trust in invisible things. Um, Faith, but faith is substantial. It's based in um, it's based in the truth of of God. It's the believer's conviction and assurance in the promises of God. And it takes the promises of God as the most certain evidence. So um, I'll just speak to my young brothers for a minute. Um, you know, we have, these, um, we have these times where we, um, we may be exposed to, to the ideas of the world. It might be evolution or things like that. And, oh, there's all these evidences and, and this and that. Our, our ultimate evidence is God's Word. It's good to have evidence, and evidence is on our side. Um, you know, when we speak about the debate between creation and evolution, for example. But, but our authority is God's Word. We have, we have no stronger foundation. God cannot lie. God is the creator. He's the source of truth. Um, and anchor your soul there. Prove God in His Word. He won't, he won't fail you. Um, prove Him in His Word. Ho- hold Him to it. Um, And stand on His word, and you'll see God will. He will be faithful to it. You'll you you will see even even if you don't have answers until eternity, you'll look back and say, "No, God was God was true." Um, It's not man that has breath for a time and then goes into the grave. No, this is this is the eternal God. Uh, His word is worthy of faith. So faith is our conviction. It's our assurance that no, I'm certain. I'm certain this chair is going to hold me up. I'm certain this air is safe to breathe. I'm certain my parents love me, but it's even more certain than that. Uh, It's this conviction, this assurance that God's promises um, are true. And what's God's promises? That if you believe Christ to be your Savior, He will save you. It's the confidence in the unseen. A great way of illustrating this is in verse 11 of Hebrews 11. It says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Note this. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. The ground for her faith was that she judged. She, she um, esteemed God. She judged God. No, God is faithful. God can't lie. Um, and so she knew his promise was going to be um, faithful. Um, so faith is where um, God's promises need to be applied to our hearts think again kids think about the Passover and how you know again this strange picture we have in our minds of you know the father of the family painting this blood on the doorpost and it seems strange but it's almost like the the doorpost of our heart it's like the blood needs to be applied the blood of Christ needs to be applied to us where we don't just okay the lamb's been slain there but we've got to um, we've got to apply it. We've got to to receive the gift. Um, and that's done by faith. So faith is where we lean, we depend, we rely, we rest in the truth of God's word that Christ's blood is enough. It's sufficient to save you. Um, so the Puritans, the old Puritans, um, for example, Hamas Brackel. Actually, I think he was, um, he was actually Dutch, but in the kind of broad Puritan tradition, they spoke about Faith is consisting of three things. Faith is knowledge, it's assent, and it's affiance. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So knowledge is, is right now, as, as you're hearing, you know in your head what atonement is. You know who Christ is. You know what Christ has done. You might even assent to it and say, yeah, that's true. Um, some people have the knowledge, but they reject it and they say, nah, I don't, I don't buy that. It's not true. But others might say, yeah, that's true. And you meet people like this. Oh yeah, I believe God's word is true. I, I believe in scripture. I believe, I believe in God. But there's no transformation of the heart. There's no uh, reliance. There's no change of life. So that's where the real core of faith is. Aff- affiance. Affience is where we, we rest. Where we entrust ourselves. We commit ourselves. It's an act of the will. Where we're like, God is faithful. His word is true. So I'm just going to fall into his arms now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rest in Him, I'm gonna lean on Him um, as enough to save me, and uh, and I have such trust in Him that I'm gonna, I, I believe it as, as though I could see it. It's so real, and then out of that heart comes fruit of love to God, um, and that's the real core of faith is taking that act of that w- of the will, taking that step and saying, no, Christ is yeah, Christ is a savior. That's all fine and good, but He's my savior. I'm going to rest in Him. I'm going to trust His promises. I'm going to trust that eternity is real, that heaven and hell are real, and that He is the only way I can be saved from hell and given entrance to heaven. And now I'm going to live on that. And I'm going to trust that. I'm going to bank on that. Um, and faith is it's only as good as the object. People say, oh, just have faith. and it's, That doesn't mean anything. Faith, faith is nothing but the abandonment of self. In itself, it's worthless. What, what makes faith valuable is what are you abandoning yourself to? Um, what, are you, what are you trusting in? Uh, and faith is necessary. Look at verse 6 here in Hebrews 11. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Um, it's impossible to please God without faith. Um, when we come to God, the, the prerequisite um, you think about in school. Um, so you, sometimes you can't take a course if you haven't taken a previous course. That's called a prerequisite. Well, the prerequisite to coming to God is you need to believe He exists. And you also need to believe that He'll reward those who diligently seek Him. What does it mean to, re- to reward here? Well, God will give salvation in Christ as you seek Him, and He won't, he won't fail you in that. Um, so, faith is... Um, Faith is necessary. I'm going to quote a verse from Romans 10 that really summarizes this faith in the atonement. It says that, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So, so faith is just believing that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Savior, but going a step further than that and, and trusting Him to be your Savior. Trusting him to be my Fraser's savior, fill your name in the blank. Um, it's applying him to yourself. It's it's receiving the gift, and the fruit of this faith in the atonement is God will justify you. Um, justification again, kids. It's a big word, um, but it's it's a legal term. Have, you, have Has anyone? Have any of you kids ever seen um, a picture or a video of of a courtroom? Where there's a judge with his gavel, do you guys have you guys ever seen that before? Yeah. So justification is is a legal term. Uh, it's it's kind of a courtroom term, um, and it means that someone is declared not guilty. So if if the judge is there, um, Nina, you know you think of Uncle Terry, right? Uh, he's a judge. Um, well, this is the same the same idea here of the judge saying you're declared not guilty. If if a judge um, sees a case where there's some criminal and he says, you're guilty, he's condemning that man. But if he says, no, I've looked at the evidence, you're not guilty. um, That's the idea of justification. God looks at us. He doesn't see me. He doesn't see you, believer. But he sees Christ. And so he can justly say, not guilty. That's justification. If you have faith in the atonement, God will adopt you into his family. Um, and you 'll be sanctified that means you 'll be conformed to christ 's image you 'll grow into his likeness and the last thing is glorification you 'll be made perfect um, your soul will live in heaven with Christ until the resurrection and that 's an exciting thing as well we we often think of of um, heaven is just this ethereal you know up on the clouds and it 's all just in, no no heaven um, heaven is real and heaven is it is spiritual now, but, but one day in the new heavens and new earth, it'll be physical. It'll be like us standing here on, on earth. I think we forget that sometimes. There is a physical aspect to, to redemption, and, and God redeems our bodies, and God redeems creation. And that's really exciting to think about. So we'll participate in that um, as we have faith in this atonement. And then we'll look thirdly at the consequences of unbelief in the atonement. The consequences of unbelief in the atonement the Egyptians they didn 't believe that this blood could do anything. Um, imagine you 're an Egyptian in Egypt. can you imagine the land of the pyramids, um, the land of the pharaohs you 're an Egyptian um, back uh, at the time of Moses, and you hear about this this Moses you know and how, how all the, these slave people they 're doing this this strange ritual where they 're killing the lamb and Moses is threatening that all the firstborn um, sons and daughters are going to die. And you're like, I-, I don't buy that. That's ridiculous. That's what the Egyptians would have thought. They didn't believe that it would, it would have any effect. And that might be you. Um, you might think that, oh, you know, I hear all this talk about Christ, but it doesn't really mean anything. It's all just um, adults talking. It doesn't have any, any real substance or meaning to it. Um, but if you're like that, you're just like these Egyptians who, who don't realize that there is a judgment coming and um, there is a, a way of escape. So the Egyptians' sin of unbelief, it prevented them from sacrificing the Passover and being spared the death of their firstborn children. Now it's very interesting that there may have been some Egyptians that actually did believe God. Turn to Exodus 12:38. It's back in Exodus 12. Verse 38, it says, And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds even very much cattle. When you look into the Hebrew of this and also the commentators, most agree that this is non-Jews. It's a mixed multitude. Um, and it's very likely this would have included Egyptians who, who saw the, the plagues and they saw the power of Jehovah and they, um, they decided, yeah, we're, we're going to go up with the Israelites. This is the true and living God. Um, some of them may have just had a, what the Puritans called a miraculous faith, they were awed by the miracles, oh let's serve the Lord, but they had no real root in them. This mixed multitude were the ones that were complaining in, um, in the desert about let's go back to Egypt. So how many of them were regenerate we don't know, but clearly there were some Egyptians who did believe in God uh, and others who didn't. Um, but we see Pharaoh's heart is, is hardened against the Lord, Exodus 7.3. And his unbelief and the unbelief of his people, on the most part, the Egyptians, his unbelief and pride prevented him from seeking God's favor and way of atonement so his firstborn child could be saved. Um, So unbelief led to physical death for the Egyptians and many of their descendants. Um, And this contrasts with Israel's safety. There wasn't one Israelite house where there was the Passover had been sacrificed and applied to the doorposts. Where, um, where God had, God didn't, didn't uh, kill any of those firstborn children. They were all saved. There's an utter contrast between the wailing of the Egyptians and the, 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 the peace and quiet of the Israelites. Um, so that's the consequence of unbelief in the atonement. But this physical death of the Egyptians, it's a picture of spiritual death, uh, eternal death. Um, Romans 6.23 um, says that the wages of sin is death. We've quoted it. Quite a few times today, or perhaps it's Romans 3.23. It's um, something 23. Um, where the wages of sin is death, uh, the earnings, um, the reward, the, the recompense of sin is death. Um, but this goes much further than just physical death. It's spiritual death. And it's, it's a very terrifying thing. The place of spiritual death is the lake of fire, Revelation 20.15. A place of torment. The Lord Jesus describes it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13.50, and its length is everlasting. The Lord said it's a place of everlasting punishment. Matthew 25.46, it's very, very sad, very sobering, very terrifying to think about um, that anyone who is outside of Christ um, is going to this awful place. Um, so think about it. Um, kids, adults, um, if you're outside of Christ, um, think about your, your, your doom and the need for an escape, um, In Christ. So we've looked today at um, the the Lord's provision for an atonement. Uh, The Lord's provision for an atonement. The Lord provides an atonement. Um, It's a needed atonement because of our sin and coming judgment. Um, The atonement is is of a perfect lamb, the Lord Jesus, who's innocent. He didn't sin. Um, And the nature of this atonement, what it is, is it takes away guilt, turns away wrath, reconciles us to God. It's a substitution where Christ takes our place, leads to reconciliation where we're set free. That's what the atonement is. God's provided that. But how do we receive this this wonderful gift? It's through faith. What's faith? It's, it's saying, I've heard this. I've heard this preached. That's knowledge. But it's assenting to it and saying, yes, that's true. God's word is reliable. I will rest on that. Then it goes a step further and says, God's word is true. And I'm going to, as it were, jump off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump off the burning building into the hands of the, of the strong firemen below. Um, it's, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean uh, my soul on that truth and, and live in light of it. And say, no, um, I am a sinner. I am going to hell. Um, but Christ is a Savior of sinners. And He can save me. And, and instead of just leaving it there saying, Christ is now my Savior. I'm going to trust Him to be my Savior I'm going to rest there. I'm not going to be working and trying to clean up my life to be better. I'm going to lean on Him. I'm going to rest in Him. And that's enough. And just your, your soul just to lean into Him and, and rest on Him. And say, Christ is my Savior. Yes, hell, it's a terrifying place and there's a coming judgment. But Christ is enough. He died. And He died for sinners. I'm a sinner. Well, I'm going to trust that He died for me. Um, and He promises not to cast away those who come. That's faith. And without faith, the opposite is unbelief. That's what the Egyptians did. Don't fall into the same trap as the Egyptians of unbelief who, who had physical death. Because if you do, you're going to continue down that, down that road to hell. Um, um, and that's where unbelief leads. A terrifying place of everlasting punishment. Um, so escape, my friends, escape to, um, to, to Christ uh, who can save you. And, and trust trust in him and it it might even be just a simple prayer lord jesus i'm a sinner um, please just forgive my sins and I, I believe you can and just save me Lord and and trust him that that he that he will and trust you that he he can do that um, so what this should lead us to is is repentance and faith so take your sin to God recognize it as sin um, realize that sin is rebellion against the creator it's a Perversion of His perfect standards, it robs God of His glory. It's destructive to others, it's destructive to yourself, and it leads to eternal hell. So replace that loving sin with hating sin, and love God and His Word. That's what repentance is. And then believe the Gospel. Lean on Christ, trust His perfect atonement for you, and He promises He will not cast you out. If you come to Him, He won't won't cast you out. Um, and seek Him until you find Him. Um, pray until until you find Him, like Bartimaeus did. The crowds were trying to tell Bartimaeus to be quiet, but he kept on saying, Lord, save me. And the Lord saved him. So so kids, it's, it's not a long, it may be a long journey of, of finding Him, but it doesn't have to be. Just cry out to Him to save you, and He will. He'll save you, and you'll have new life. And you'll have that promise of, of heaven, and the beautiful new heaven and new earth, and And God will will be your father. God will be your friend. Um, God will be reconciled to you in Christ. Um, So we just want to finish where we started off with John. Um, John the Baptist said, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Um, And then we'll close with with just what John said. Behold the Lamb of God. Um, Look at this Lamb that's been presented to you today. Um, behold Him. Um, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Uh, my friends, He can take away your sin, um, so trust Him to do that. And He will save you. And hell will not be in your future, but, but eternal life will be. And you'll be with the Lord. Um, and he, uh, he, is, uh, he is a wonderful Savior. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's pray. Our gracious and glorious God, We worship you. Um, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that Christ came to save his people from their sins. This is what the name Jesus means. He's a savior. Um, Lord God, I just pray for every person here. Lord, I just pray that um, grace would teach their hearts to fear and grace would relieve their fears. Um, That you would show, Lord, the the need for a savior um, because of sin and because of judgment but that you would just show everyone, Lord, from the youngest child to the oldest adult here, Lord God, that every every need um, for salvation is provided in Christ. He's a perfect Savior. Uh, He's unblemished. He never sinned. And he died on the cross as a sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here would just look to him and trust in him to be their Savior so that they will be with you in glory forever. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would that you would just work in the hearts of every person here to see the glory of Christ and His beauty, and um, Lord, we just we just rest in You. We pray that You would wash away our sins, um, and we pray, Lord, that as we remember the sacrifice of Christ in the Lord's Supper, that we would um, that we would remember what He's done and be strengthened to live for You. And we pray, Lord, for the believers here, Lord, um, that we would continue to to daily repent and turn from our sins, and that. We would daily be um, believing in Christ and resting in Him and bearing forth fruit, Lord, for Your glory um, and living uh, living for Your honor. Uh, So we look to You, Lord, and we uh, commit this day to You and pray that You would be glorified in the salvation, Lord, of sinners and call Your people to Yourself. And um, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.